And then inside of that little now I lay me down to sleep, um, I guess a few times. Um, I pick up the Bible every once in a while, but I either got sleepy or bored. <laughs> um, I went through my life living like most people. I had opportunities to follow Christ, but I never did. My sophomore year, I got introduced to Young Life by a senior friend, Hannah Oakwood. Um, I didn't consider myself a Christian when I first began Young Life, but everyone there was so supportive while I like tried to figure out what I believed in. That summer, I went to Young Life camp. It was kind of unexpected. Um, one of my friends decided not to go, and um, my Young Life leader, Grace, was like, hey, you want to come to camp? And I was like, yeah, I'll go to camp. So um, that summer is when I decided to follow Christ, and ever since then, I've been involved in Young Life and um, coming to church. And um, Quick aside, Young Life is an interdenominational ministry that is in a lot of high schools in Bloomington, um, basically pointing people, pointing high school kids to Jesus. So it's a ministry that uh, is around is international, not just national, but it's very active in the Bloomington area. So. so after that summer, I just felt a great sense of relief, knowing that I was forgiven and God was on my side and still wants what is best for me. Um, the forgiveness and security I have from God is something I want like everyone to experience. So that's okay. my story. And when she gets baptized, uh, where was Grace again? Grace Crumb's going to help with the baptism. So I'm saying that because we all have people in our lives that were significant in pointing us to Jesus. So Grace is going to be a part of that. And then uh, Stevie, why don't you, you can just stand up right there, and I already have written that. So you can just, Stevie Nodell, right? Canodal. Oh, you actually pronounced the K. Okay. Um, I grew up in a military family, so I was always moving around, and I never really felt like I had a strong belief in Young Life. I just kind of went around doing whatever. Um, I had parents who loved my sister and I, some really cool friends, and I was doing ballet and everything, and life just seemed okay. Um, in third grade, I went to a Christian private school where I first heard about Jesus, but I didn't really, like, decide to follow him or anything. Um, it wasn't until the summer before my seventh grade year when he had changed my life forever. I went to a Christian ballet studio and I took a summer intensive and a guy was singing devotions every morning and just hearing his amazing stories of what Jesus has done for him. I kind of realized what Jesus was doing in my life too and that summer I decided to accept him as my savior. Um, and then I moved to Indiana about two years ago. I was introduced to Young Life and I've just been involved ever since. I fell in love with it um, and I just want to help people find Jesus too. And I still have like struggles but I know that God is more important. Stevie. So if you're able to make it uh, down there, it'd be great. Uh, just a quick uh, two. Where, I, I know I saw Jeff. Did Jeff and is Rachel here too? Jeff, Mark. Yeah, uh, raise your hand, Jeff. Jeff is the local leader of Young Life. So uh, really, just neat to see um, the kind of effect that ministry has on a lot of young people. So I encourage you to um, stop by. Or Head on down 10 blocks after service today. So um, let me pray, and then we're going to uh, talk a little bit more about baptism this morning. Uh, God, thank you for uh, Rachel and Stevie. Thank you for um, Grace and Elizabeth and all those others who had influence on their lives and pointing them to follow Jesus. Thank you for those people in our lives, but thank you most of all for the Holy Spirit who orchestrates all of that. And now as we look in your word this morning, uh, Holy Spirit, we need you to continue to point all of us to follow you and to fall in love with you and to become the kind of people you said we could be and that's full of peace and joy and life and power that comes from God alone through Jesus alone. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.
Uh, I'm going to show a short video. This is actually a video of a different kind of baptism. This is the Ganges River in India, 11 million people in one day. All right? So just watch this, and we'll talk about it. They're all Hindus. You won't be able to understand what's said, but that's okay. Just watch. All right, so uh, we're not going to have 11 million today, but here's the question of the day. Why don't you pull the lights back on for us? Um, here's the question of the day. Why do we baptize? I mean, they were doing 11 million in one day. They do that. It's a festival. It's a Hindu festival. comes about four times every 12 years. Uh, Hindus, in that situation, they believe the gods were fighting over this magic nectar and the good gods, as they were flying away from the demonic gods, spilled some of the nectar into the Ganges River. And so if they were able to dip themselves in the Ganges River on these special days, the water has greater value to the gods. And they hope to wash away their sins from this life and all past lives so they might have a better next life. That's why Hindus baptize. Muslims don't baptize. They actually believe that uh, they think that Christians baptize because we're trying to wash away sinful nature and that Muslims don't believe we have sinful nature. So they don't think we need to get baptized. Um, however, when a Muslim baptizes a Christian, it is the vital turning point in that individual's life. And it's usually the point in which they are estranged from their family. Even the Muslims know that if one of their Muslim friends is baptized into the church that's the end they don't mind if they read the bible they don't even mind if they go to church once they're baptized a muslim knows there's something significant about that all right a mormon a mormon would say most of our baptism before baptized if you were baptized in a christian church they would say most of our baptisms aren't legitimate because mormons believe that they and they they're very big about baptism they believe that in 1829 jesus showed joseph smith the right way to baptize, and it can only be baptism through the authority of people th that follow Joseph Smith. So they would say, 
that you have to be baptized in the right line of authority, which was rediscovered by Joseph Smith through what they believe was a vision from Jesus. Of course, we don't believe that Jesus would, we don't believe that because we don't think Jesus would change something he's had on for centuries. But that's what Mormons believe. They, you have to be baptized by one of their special people in one of their special pools because that washes away your sins. Jewish people. In ancient days, at least in the Old Testament, let's just kind of go to the Old Testament. There was washing. There was times they were supposed to. The Jewish people were told by God. This is actually in our Bible, the Jewish Bible, but the Christian Old Testament. They were told by God in a certain case, to wash themselves in preparation for what God was going to do. It was a sign of purity. The Old Testament law, the Jewish Bible, the law says in certain situations, if you're exposed to a dead person, if you're exposed to certain kind of blood or other bodily fluids or other kind of defiled things, you had to wash yourself as a symbol of cleansing yourself from what had defiled you. And then later on, in the biblical times... If you were a Gentile, which meant a non-Jew, and you wanted to become a Jew, you had to do three things. You had to be circumcised, you had to be baptized, and you had to offer a sacrifice to the temple. That was your, because the baptism, again, was cleansing of your life, purity. So we have the Hindu version of baptism, we have the Islamic version of non-baptism, we have Mormon baptism, we have... Even today, there are some Jews that would say, if you or I as Gentiles, for those of us who are Gentiles, which I think is most of us, if you wanted to convert to Judaism, many Jewish branches or different variations of Judaism, they would say you need to be baptized. It's a mikvah, a certain bath, a holy bath. And then there's the kind of baptism we're going to practice today, and that we practice, and most of you, if you're Christian and you were baptized, it's the reason why we get baptized. But again, the question is, why do we do it? I mean cultures ancient egypt ancient babylonians they baptized so are what we doing no different than what the hindus were doing in the ganges river is what they doing get does that get the same value with god as what we do or what's the difference because we don't know why we're getting baptized sometimes it's good to say look at other reasons feel baptized and we figure out what what do we believe about baptism is it simply a rite of initiation like you'd have at a fraternity or sorority or some kind of a club or is there more going on there? Why are Stevie and Rachel getting baptized? Why were you baptized when you were baptized? I want you to, if, you're, if you've been baptized, I want you to kind of think through when it happened, whether you were s- sprinkled or poured over or immersed, whatever. Just I want you to think about when you did Why were you doing it? I was baptized when I was seven. And I knew I was doing it because I knew that's what Jesus wanted. I don't know that I fully understood it all, but why were you baptized? Why do we baptize? Should it be a big deal? So, so to answer that question, I'm going to go straight to what Jesus said, because the best answer, the best first answer to that question is because Jesus said so. In Matthew 28, it's where Jesus, ta- after he had resurrected, he's talking to his disciples, and they still were a little bit uh, taken aback because he was resurrected, and they see him right in front of them. And he gives them... These are not his parting words. This is part of his last kind of set of parting words. But he gives him this mission, this commission. It's called the Great Commission. But this is what Jesus said. 
that they were to do, which is part of what we are to do. And he says this, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go, go, make, go, go find people and turn them into people who want to learn the way of Jesus. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So the nature of how that sentence is structured, it's you make disciples, make followers of Jesus, baptize them, and teach them. So the, the quick, short, easy answer to baptism is because Jesus said so. And you might think, well, why didn't he have us do something else? I, I don't know. But Jesus said so. Jesus said, baptize them. And there's a symbolism there we're going to talk about in a minute. But now let's go, if you've been here the last few weeks, I was talking through three different stories from the book of Acts. Three different people who became followers of Jesus. Go to the next slide there. If we just start with Acts 2, we didn't talk about this in particular recently. But on the very first day of the church, the day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching to all these people in Jerusalem. And the passage ends with, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All right? So the early church, this would have been weeks after Jesus told them, maybe months after Jesus told them. They thought this is what we're supposed to do. Then we talked about, go to the next slide, we talked about from Acts chapter 8, when P, uh, Philip is going to this Ethiopian in a chariot, and the guy doesn't understand Scripture, and Philip, who had been told by the Holy Spirit to go talk to him, kind of, is confused, and Philip explains to him, no, this is talking about Jesus. And the Ethiopian understands, and he responds. He says he wants to follow Jesus. And the scripture says, they came to some water, and the eunuch, he was the Ethiopian, said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Because even him, as a non-Christian, non-Jewish person, he understood that baptism was something indicated some kind of transition. He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. The next one, Acts 9, where we talked about where uh, Saul um, had been persecuting the church. He has this experience with Jesus in a supernatural way. Someone comes to his house, man, Ananias, and he prays for him. And then it says, instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He'd been blinded. And what happened? He regained his sight, then he got up and was baptized. And the last one we talked about last week, Acts chapter 10, go to the next one. Cornelius, a Roman soldier, a pagan, um, has a vision, has a dream. Peter has a vision, has a dream. God sends Peter to go talk to Cornelius about Jesus. And it says, Peter asks, can anyone, and this is after he talks to these families, they, they say, we want to follow Jesus. And Peter asks, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders to them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So here Jesus told them, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey. And then you look in the book of Acts, and it seemed as if they totally understood Jesus to mean, hey, when somebody follows Jesus, baptize them. And so whether it was the 3,000 on Pentecost or the Ethiopian eunuch or Cornelius or Saul, it seemed like they understood that was not the act that was dis dis definitive in their spirit, but it was an act that was a definitive act of saying, this is what I've chosen to do. I've decided to follow Jesus. And there was some, uh, throughout the book of Acts, it talks about that. And people are baptized. They're baptized in water. Now, let me say this, too, because Jesus said, if I go back to the part where we were talking, he said, teach, he said, baptize them 
And then he said, and teach them to obey. And I'm going to talk about why I'm talking about these two things. So Jesus says, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. Because, see, the nature of the Christian life is not simply to get your ticket into heaven after you die. Uh, when I baptize these girls today, nobody's going to hand them a ticket or certificate that gets them past St. Peter at the pearly gates, so to speak. All right, that's already a done deal with these young ladies. They've already made that decision in their heart. They've already opened up their hearts to Jesus. But Jesus says, do that. It's a definitive picture, and we'll talk about that picture here in a second. But he says, and then teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. So Jesus is given this strong mission of, to us, to talk to people, be a part of what God's doing to s- get them to follow Jesus, then baptize, and then teach them to obey. Well, what are the things Jesus told us to do? I mean, if you, on the back of the purple sheet, one of the things we say at Exodus, we have a list of some of our values, and one of the things we say is, on value number three, we will teach ordinary people actually to do the civic things Jesus said to do. Well, what did he say we're supposed to do? I mean, we're not, we're not only going to baptize these young ladies, and you not only were baptized, but part of our role is we need to become the kind of people who do the things Jesus said we can do, like love our enemies. That's easy. Not really. Jesus said, do good to those who hate you. Jesus said not to judge others. So baptize them, teach them to do what I told you to do. Jesus said, forgive others. Jesus said, heal the sick. He talked about giving, tithing. He talked about not being afraid, not worrying. He talked about giving to those in need. This is all from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. These are the things that Jesus said. Teach them to do these things. Teach them to love their enemies, to forgive those who hurt them. Teach them to be generous with their money to the needy and to the church. Teach them to forgive. And if we're honest, when you think about those issues in your life, that's not always easy. I, I don't know their stories that well with Stevie and Rachel, but my guess is there are people in their lives that may be hard to love or hard to forgive, like they're all of us. Um, how do we do that? How do we become those kind of people? Because it's easy to think, well, yeah, we just need to, I need to do this and do this and do this. But I don't know about any of you, but forgiving and not having contemptuous judgment toward people is a very hard thing for me to do. Because sometimes when somebody hurts me, I want to be hurt. I like being, I like wanting to think about really, really spiritual ways of revenge and hurting them. And of course, we know nobody would never do those things, but we think about it. And forgiving somebody who hurt us is very hard. I remember when those when those uh, individuals were shot at the church in South Carolina a month or so ago. And the families, within days, spoke forgiveness to the deranged shooter that shot them. I remember listening to a radio talk show, talk show person, and he just said, how can they do that? How can they forgive? I mean, it's been only days. How can they forgive this young man for gunning down their friends and family? And remember years ago, and I remember this, there were some Amish young children who would, were murdered by a guy who then killed, uh, no, he wouldn't kill himself. He, they were murdered by this one guy. And the Amish family offered forgiveness to this man 
they offered forgiveness to this man's family. They gave money to this man's family. And people were like, what's that? What, who, who can forgive like that? And so Jesus says, teach them to do these things. So we should be the kind of people, we should excel in giving to the needy, forgiving others, loving those who hurt us, loving our enemies. And again, then you get back to the question, how do we do that? Well, now it comes back to the picture of baptism. Because in baptism, here's the picture. We don't baptize people to wash away their sins. In the Mormon world, in the Hindu world, in other worlds where they have these religious acts, they do those things because they're trying to win some points with God. Uh, uh, there's no other way to say it. And that's, they're trying to appease God. Actually, in the Hindu baptism we just saw, they believe that if they get, bapti- if they get baptized in the Ganges River on those certain days, I'll just say this kind of in odd, the point values are like times 10 toward God. They get extra points to God because they're trying to climb the ladder back to God. We don't believe baptism gives these young ladies or any of you who are baptized a point to God. It's not about getting points with God. We're not doing these things to earn favor with God. We're doing things because Jesus said, you do it because you obey me, because the internal reality in their hearts has already happened. Baptism is an external sign of an internal reality. It's a choice you make, not, not to appease God, but because we love him and want to obey. And, what it, and Jesus said this, he said, if you obey me, I will show myself to you. So he's, Jesus, God doesn't say, you need to obey me because you need to get a few more points because I've got to decide whether I'm going to let you into heaven or not. No, he says, you're already, because of what Jesus did, you're in. I love you. But we obey because Jesus said, if we, when you obey the Father, when you obey me, God will show himself to you. And this picture of baptism is somebody going down into death. And Paul talks about this in Romans 6. Go to the next slide. Because in Romans 6, Paul talks about being dead to sin and alive to God. And he talks about baptism. You weren't baptized to win favor with God. You were baptized because you're showing this. You're proclaiming to others, I am now dead to sin and alive to God. So it's that dead, I'm in the, I'm in the grave. And no, we don't hold them underwater too long. All right. Dead to sin, I'm alive to God. In some cultures, in some church cultures, they'll actually have the person getting baptized stand this way, and they'll ask them, do you renounce sin in your life? Do you renounce uh, you know, the past of your life when you gave yourself? And then they say, and then they flip them around and say, are you, do you turn yourself to Jesus? And will you become alive to God? Because the only way I can forgive or you can forgive anybody in the way that Jesus talks about forgiveness, in the way that Jesus forgave people when they were crucifying him, in the way that Stephen forgave people when they were stoning him, is if you have an openness and aliveness to the spirit of Jesus in you. You cannot do that as a human being apart from the supernatural reality of Jesus. So the picture of baptism is I'm going to stop trying to live life my way and making it work my way with my abilities and my smartness not we don't put those things aside but we know that's not going i'm going to be alive now to the supernatural reality of christ in me and there's no baptism in any culture any religion throughout history where we believe that what it symbolizes it's a symbol but something's going on we don't see but it symbolizes an identification 
with someone else that we believe now their spirit becomes part of us and lives inside of us. Because anybody who's a follower of Jesus, it says the spirit of God indwells us. Now, we don't believe that necessarily happens at the moment they come out of the water, but it's a symbol of what they've said. This is what I want. At some point, they made a decision to follow Jesus. At some point, you made a decision to follow Jesus if you've been baptized. And at some point, for many of you, you decided to be baptized. And that is simply a symbol. It's an external symbol of an internal reality. It doesn't make the internal reality happen. It's a symbol that you've already made that decision. But the symbol symbolizes an openness and aliveness. You're dead to sin. I'm, I'm not going to let my flesh and my desires, I'm not going to let revenge take over. I'm not going to let my anger take over. I'm going to let that die, and I'm going to be open to what, how Jesus wants to lead me. I'm going to let the Spirit of God give me the ability to give to others in need, to not ex- exercise contemptuous judgment to forgive others who've hurt me, to love my enemies, to do good to those who've done bad to me. You can't be that kind of person without the Spirit of God in you. You can't. You can try really hard, but in the end, you can't, because without the Spirit of Jesus who spoke to those who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Without that Spirit in you, you will not be the kind of alive, awake, and free person that Jesus said we can be. And so when we baptize today, um, and I want to challenge you to think about when you were baptized. Because if you're a baptized follower of Jesus, then you are, the Bible says, you've said to the world, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to God. And the question I'll just challenge you with is, is there anything now that God's asking you to die to and be alive to something he's asking you to do? Because dying's not easy. But the life of the follower of Jesus is a constant death and resurrection, death and resurrection, death and resurrection. Life's not going to be, I mean, I think they know this, but for Rachel and Stevie, life's not going to all of a sudden be easy this afternoon at 1 o'clock on for them. It's not going to be all of a sudden easier and all the valleys are going to be smooth. It's going to be easy, smooth sailing because they've been baptized. It may even be harder. But the promise of Jesus is, no, but now I'm with you now. So I don't know what it is that God may be challenging any of you with. What do you have to let go of? Let go of my soul. What do you need to let go of and be open to what the Spirit of God wants in you? Dead to sin, alive to Christ. Let's pray. God, I don't know. Um, I don't know, every, and none of us know, you do, every story here this morning. We don't know, I don't know the kind of struggle some people even came with this morning. I don't know what the heaviness they may have woken up with this morning or the struggle or the sin they're battling or the discouragement they're battling. I don't know what our people's weeks have been like. I don't know about their struggle with you. I don't know if anyone here is on the verge of walking away from you. We don't know those things, but you do. You do. And God, my prayer is for each one of us, every single person here, um, that we not only be people who are dead to sin and stop doing bad things, so to speak, 
we do that because we're now alive to your spirit. And you're leading us into new ways to be the kind of people that embody peace and forgiveness and joy and strength and love and power and goodness in ways that go beyond measure. We want to be those kind of people. And you said we can be. So even as we baptize uh, Rachel and Stevie later on this morning, may it be kind of like for a lot of us going to a wedding is it reminds us of the promises we've made to you, Jesus. It reminds us of our decision when we decided to follow you and the decision we face every day to follow you and to be dead to sin but alive to you. And we thank, we're thankful, Jesus, that we can be alive to you because of what you did on the cross for us, that you broke, uh, you broke the curse of sin. You broke the curse of sin. We're not stuck there anymore. But now we can turn ourselves and open up ourselves to you. And even, God, as we look to take communion here in a, in a moment, it's the, another picture, another symbol of being alive to you, being open to you in us. And so, Jesus, we're grateful that you gave yourself to death and that you were raised to life by the Father. And now we believe what the Bible teaches is there's a new and living way, a supernatural power. We don't have to earn favor anymore. We don't have to win points with you. We now simply are friends of yours who listen to what you ask us to do with a new kind of power to be the kind of people you ask us to be. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. We do take communion at the end of the service with Exodus. We do it every Sunday, and we do it again because we want to remind ourselves it's another picture, it's another symbol of what we're saying is Christ in us, his, him in us. And Jesus said, this is my body. He gave the cup to his disciples the night when he was praised. This is my blood, which was given for you, to shed for you. And so, like baptism is a ritual, but has deep meaning because of Jesus, Communion is a ritual that has deep meaning because of Jesus. Because when you take communion, when you take this bread and juice into your body, what you're saying, not to us, you're not really saying it, you are proclaiming it to others, but you're really saying it to Jesus. No, I, I, I want more of you in me. I want you in me. I want you in me. So here's how we did it, Exodus. Jeremy's going to come on up and he's going to lead us, I think, in a song or two more. And then as we do communion, we just we don't dismiss our rows. You're just welcome to come on up. Anybody can come on up who simply would say, I want more of Jesus in my life. And I say this too, if there's some way, known way that you're resisting giving God a straight arm about some, some known issue in your life where you're doing your way, even though he's told you, then it's to your benefit not to take, not we don't check and see who's up or down for that, but just for your own to guard your own honesty, just be honest with yourself and God. But if you're wanting to break out of cycles of sin, anybody's welcome up here. So, um, Jeremy, come on up, and let me pray, and then we'll take. Jesus, again, we say we're grateful. Um, we say we're grateful for food when we eat food. We say we're grateful for clothes and shelter. But, Jesus, we're most grateful because you've, done something in your death and resurrection that gives life to our souls and brings life to our spirits and we are grateful that you've done that on our behalf and we ask this all in christ's name amen i need a couple people just to help me serve up here i forgot to ask people like i often do
consecrated Lord to thee take my moments and my days let them flow in ceaseless praise take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee take my voice and let me sing always only for my king take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee take my silver and my gold not a mind would i withhold take my intellect and use every power as you choose Take my life, it's all for thee. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne take my love my lord i pour at your feet a treasure store take myself and i will be ever only all for thee take myself and i will be ever only all for thee here am I all of me take my life it's all for
you guys to clap on this one. We don't usually prompt that, but I think today is uh, definitely worthy of that with celebrating and uh, all the baptisms and everything like that. So help me out for a second. pray, God, we, uh, we do need you, and we need you this week because we want to be the kind of people who embody life and goodness and forgiveness and peace and joy and strength and power that come from you alone. We want to be those kind of people, and we need you. So now, Lord, would you bless us with peace as we leave today? Would you bless us with peace in the name of your son, Jesus? Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, some of you I know uh, are heading on down there. And we, um, if you do head down to the uh, Free Methodist Church, they have a Korean service there at 1 o'clock. So as soon as we're done, maybe we could pitch in and help them a little bit. But we also need people to help, help stare down here. So do what you need to do, but help out either place.